Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 1 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm a Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. As we kick off Episode 1 of the second series of Compliance Clarified, we are delighted to report that the podcast has nearly 4,000 subscribers in almost 50 jurisdictions. We are so pleased it has been such a success. For the second series, we have an overarching theme of threats, particularly external ones. So we will have a recurring focus assessing what compliance functions need to consider, which could impact their firm and then also could impact the required good customer outcomes. Now, with episode one, we are discussing operational resilience, specifically operational resilience at the boardroom table. Why this is an issue now, what the regulators have done and intend to do, and then also what firms need to consider. Now, operational resilience can be defined as the ability of a firm and the financial services sector as a whole to identify and prepare for respond and adapt to, recover and learn from an operational disruption. An operationally resilient firm is able to recover its critical or important business services from a significant unplanned disruption, while minimizing the impact of that and protecting its customers and the integrity of the financial system. Now, a firm needs to develop a holistic approach to operational resilience, and equally the board should be guided by the tenet that a firm's operational resilience strategy should be cause agnostic and flexible enough to adapt to all sorts of different types of disruption. In a nutshell, resilience is not about what happens to a firm, but rather how a firm responds when an incident does occur. So given that as the background to operational resilience, Mike, why is this an issue right now? Hi, Susanna, Um, and um, thanks for inviting me back to to, to Series 2. In many ways, you know, know, firms will argue that operational resilience isn't an issue. Uh, I mean, the concept has been around in a number of guises for a number of years, uh, as um, we may come on to um, through the course of the next half hour or so. Uh, we've just come through a, 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 a year of a pandemic, uh, one of the biggest disruptions to business that financial services sector has ever seen. Uh, and by and large, firms have coped well. I mean, there's, there's been no particular um, major disruptions or, or, or issues at firms that, that, that we know of. Uh, and this will undoubtedly prompt many firms to say that, that their firms are operationally resilient. And that's it. They need do no more. And yes, that is one way of looking at it, but there, there are a current and future shifts in the environment that mean that operational resilience isn't just a one-off exercise or a year-long exercise as we've come, come through. Um, let me give you three reasons. I'll let, in fact, let me give you four reasons. Uh, firstly, increased use of technology. Uh, whether this is a, a direct result of the pandemic or or not, more and more firms are turning to technology, you know, fintech, regtech, insutech, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to undertake their basic operations. Payment services are one example where the pandemic has seen an explosion of automated solutions. 
And the use of things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, all of which are starting to become more and more popular. Secondly, outsourcing. This, so the technology point leads us into this, really. And an that firms have an increased reliance on third parties to undertake, at times, their key business processes. Um, this... Um, this has exposed firms to a, you know, to a lack of experience in these areas. And historically, firms have not, have a, these areas have posed significant risks to firms, risks which have not always been controlled very effectively. Um, so whether this is a move to the cloud or more reliance on other, other firms in the supply chain, chains, firms are relying on third parties more and more. And they need to realize that managing third parties is more akin to managing an internal process than it is to allowing the third parties just to go away and get on with it. Um, something, uh, so thirdly, there is an increased uh, focus on the regulators and partly the reason why we're chatting about this today. Let's not forget that the regulators globally were looking at operational resilience prior to the pandemic. Once firms' financial resilience was addressed after the global financial crisis, then many regulators turned their attention to making sure that firms' operations were resilient. And now regulators around the world, you know, sort of led more recently by the UK's Prudential Regulatory Authority, Financial Conduct Authority, and the Bank of England, are developing their regulatory approaches to include further scrutiny of a firm's operational resilience plans. And to me, there's no doubt that operational resilience will become a fixture um, on regulatory agendas going forward, even to the point where we may even see fines for firms in the future who do not take this seriously. Uh, and this hope focus will, will help to keep operational resilience high on board agendas. And I suppose finally, and, ju and just a footnote really to why is this more important, um, it's becoming more and more um, apparent that firms don't um, act in isolation. You know, they're, they're not all islands. And there is a need for, col uh, for a collective approach to operational resilience. Um, and, and as we progress down the operational resilience route and as firms do more analysis of the third parties they're using and the underlying processes that they, uh, they operate, I think we may well find, um, uh, driven by the regulators maybe, that actually the collective approach to operational resilience uh, will become more and more uh, uh, of, of a thing rather than firms doing the, uh, having their own operational resilience plans. Mike, thank you. I mean, it is certainly an issue that is top of mind for regulators and almost by definition then it has to become top of mind for firms. So. Rachel, in terms of some of the issues you're seeing now, what are firms looking at, worrying about, and what are you seeing in terms of those issues? Hi, Susanna. Uh, nice to be back. Uh, I would say, just to dig into a little bit more of what Mike was just saying, that a lot of the issues we're seeing today in terms of operational resilience are the same issues that kicked off this work on the back of you know almost 10 years ago now that when uh, UK banks in particular started suffering so many technology failures and this was mostly 
uh, uh, on the customer side, on the retail side. So things like uh, people not being able to uh, access money online or not being able to use telephone banking or not being able to get money out of an ATM, not being able to pay their bills, this sort of thing. So the current uh, work on operational resilience from the UK regulators perspective really has been years in the making. Uh, Andrew Tyree, who used to be the Treasury uh, Select Committee chair, start, first started banging the drum about operational resilience, although I don't think he called it that, back in 2016. And he back then he wrote to Andrew Bailey, who was still at the Bank of England in his, uh, I think it was uh, co-governor role, or not co-governor, um, deputy governor role, and Tracy McDermott, who was the acting head of the FCA or FSA at that time. And he really wanted them to take action on this because there had been a series of IT outages at almost every single uh, high street bank in the UK, Barclays, Halifax, HSBC, NatWest, RBS, Tesco Bank, TSB, the cooperative, all of them, they were, were some big fines too related to those uh, tech outages. For example, in 2014, RBS was fined by the PRA and the FCA, and that came to 56 million pounds in total. But really, what was in a watershed moment, and we've referred to this on the podcast before, was the TSB uh, technology migration fiasco back in 2018. This really focused the minds of regulators and got the ball rolling. Um, even though it had been a simmering issue for years, we've mentioned Paul Pester on this podcast before. He's the ex- TSB CEO who lost his job. And that happened because the bank tried and failed to move its IT onto its parent company's Sabadell Bank's platform. This kicked off a number of uh, investigations, Treasury Select Committee appearances, where everybody was trying to figure out what happened and point the finger and making out like it wasn't so bad. But what wound up happening was everybody, including the FCA, wound up looking bad. Um, they had met with TSB 38 times on the subject of the IT migration. So things really got going then. But really, it's been five years between Andrew Tyree demanding action and these new operational resilient policy statements coming out earlier this year. Um, and it will be several more years until firms complete these mapping exercises that are outlined or recommended in the policy statements where they are beginning to identify areas of concern, set their risk tolerances, um, come up with plan recovery plans. And in the meantime, what we've seen is banks, asset managers, pension providers, and retail investment platforms all continuing to struggle with their IT systems because they've either botched other IT migrations, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but it just happens over and over again. There's articles in the paper about it all the time. People complaining they can't get their pension money. Uh, bank puts on a patch. 
software patch. Nobody can get money out of a, a cash point. If their IT systems can't handle massive volumes, this has happened with um, some of the uh, retail brokerage platforms. Um, last year, when there was the vaccine was announced and Biden won the presidential elections, the stock market blew up and so did a couple of retail investment platforms along with it. Um, there's another big thing is the recurring issue of cyber crime. And this has really increased during the pandemic. So uh, the number of cyber incidents at retail bank, at UK banks, asset managers, wholesale breakers and exchangers exchanges rose from 21 in 2019 to 55 in 2020, which is about 161.9% increase. And the FCA recently published some insights from its cyber coordination group, which we'll link to in the show notes. And this raises a whole number of cyber issues, um, including uh, the cloud, which we'll probably talk about a little later. But apart from that IT side of things, um, I'd say the pandemic has brought around some new themes around operational resilience, especially on the people side of things. Uh, firms are talking more about wellness, talking about the ability to hire and retain better people, talking about stress and burnout. And whether firms take that forward is uncertain. I hope they do, but I'm afraid we're already seeing instances where human resilience is taken for granted as this bottomless well that can be infinitely tapped. So um, I think that's still, I think that kind of thing will come along as people, as firms, better understand what's ex what regula regulators want in terms of operational resilience. When firms understand it's more than business continuity planning, it's more than operational risk management. It's a, it's a process, it's an outcome, it's about bouncing back. And what like we'll talk about later on, it's, this is very much in its infancy still. Yeah, I, I have to say I would agree with that. I mean, the, the regulators have done and sort of almost worked through a whole list of priorities. And now operational resilience is pretty much a top priority. And I know we have spoken really quite a lot as using the UK as an example, but this is an international theme, a supranational theme. We have Basel, who has put down perhaps the, the seminal text on it, um, but we have papers coming out from right around the world. Um, Mike, picking up for then specifically on what regulators are doing in practice now, Basel, FCA, PRA, where are we with all of those in terms of what the regulators are actually now starting to do in practice? Well, the, the regulators are actually doing quite a lot, um, um, unsurprisingly. Um, just to give you a flavour, um, I'll run through some of the, the, the highlights as I've seen them from around the world. And then maybe we can step into a summary of what all of these things are saying. So I suppose starting at the top, um, if you like, uh, with the Financial Stability Board, 
I mean, the Financial Stability Board has had as one of its priorities for a number of years uh, financial resilience. And yeah, sure, it's focused on, as it's as suggested, the financial elements of that. But just this year, it included cyber and operational resilience in its work, work program, and it has issued uh, its document on effective practices for cyber incident response and recovery. Um, as you've met, you're stepping down, I guess, into, uh, into the Bar Committee, as you mentioned, uh, it's issued its principles for operational resilience, uh, and these focus on areas such as governance, operational risk management, uh, business continuity planning and testing, mapping interconnections, uh, interdependencies, third-party dependency, uh, and incident management. Uh, the EU, uh, coming into the more regional uh, response to operational resilience, uh, the EU has published a draft regulation on digital operational resilience, um, and this is a, this is intended to harmonise framework on digital operational resilience in Europe. Um, the document has two sections. The first deals with financial entities, uh, and the second focuses on the providers of, of technology. Um, in the first section, uh, which relates to banks, insurers, payment service providers, etc., um, they have they have sections on uh, ICT risk management, operational resilience testing, uh, incident classification and reporting, third parties again, and critical service providers and information sharing. And the second section is dedicated to those businesses that uh, that that service the financial entities. And the objective of this pillar is to look at the scenarios of, of risk of concentration, uh, with several f financial services firms relying on a limited group of technology providers. And I suppose this points back to a couple of things that we've already mentioned, which is the first thing being um, um, that you, you know we're better in a group, we're better collectively on this. If we're all using the same service provider, what, do we have do we have a a, um, a a systemic response to that rather than an individual firm response? Um, and then stepping into the local regionals, well, we've already mentioned the, the UK response to operational resilience uh, and the papers that uh, the PRA, FCA and the Bank of England have recently issued. Um, and again, these papers focus on things like governance, again, uh, the difference between operational risk and operational resilience. Uh, they make the point that operational resilience is a subset of operational risk, operational risk um, it covers more areas, albeit that operational risks in themselves need to be looked at from a operational resilience perspective. Um, and then the, the relationship with business continuity and outsourcing. Again, similar themes coming through. Um, in the US, uh, the Fed, um, the OCC and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation have issued an interagency paper on sound practices to strengthen operational resilience. And again, these areas cover similar ground, as you would expect. So it's, it's all about governance, operational risk management, business continuity management, third party management, scenario analysis, and the surveillance and reporting of operational, uh, of operational resilience. In, in Australia, um, both a uh, um, APRA and ASIC have both put papers out on operational resilience covering prudential standards and, and BCM and, and, and outsourcing from an APRA perspective. And, and ASIC have put out an operational resilience paper on market intermediaries. 
And then when it comes to uh, to Asia, uh, both the, uh, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and the Monetary Authority of Singapore have both put out principles for operational resilience and guidance on operational resilience. And I suppose just coming back around the world again to Europe, uh, I suppose one of the most recent papers has, has, has come from Ireland um, and their, their take on operational resilience. Uh, I didn't know whether you wanted to say a couple of words on this, Susanna. Yeah, I mean, I've written about this, um, and that that piece will uh, I'll link to that in the show notes. The Central Bank of Ireland, who is the regulator for all financial services in Ireland, has issued a consultation paper number one four zero on cross industry guidance on operational resilience. Now, it very much follows the EU threads and the Basel threads, and so on and so forth, but. And this is very much against a backdrop of a lot of firms, both from EU and uh, the UK, have beefed up their Irish operations as a kind of stepping stone between the UK and the EU. So there is a lot more firms operating there than previously. The backdrop to the Central Bank of Ireland's approach is from a number of thematic reviews they put out recently and indeed a number of very severe enforcement actions, that they are increasingly concerned about the state of the compliance functionality in Irish financial services firms. They perceive it to be under-resourced, underfunded, and all too often downright ignored. The other element firms need to recognise against that that backdrop is that Ireland has stated it's going to have a new personal accountability regime, very much modelled on the senior managers and certification regime in the UK. So... Again, it is senior manager responsibility and governance that the CBI wants firms to focus on. Indeed, the number one guideline in this consultation is the board has ultimate responsibility for the operational resilience of a firm. Now, several things. Firms in Ireland with any kind of operation in Ireland need to engage with this and respond. And I would suggest they not only need to respond to the uh, consultation paper itself, But what I would also suggest is they very much need to undertake a gap analysis between where they are now and where that consultation paper suggests they should be. And I would suggest that there, for some firms, there will be a lot of work and a lot of resource needed to fill that gap. Now, CP140 closes on the 9th of July, and I will include a link to the actual consultation paper itself as well. And and I suppose that that you know when when that, that, thank you for that by the way. Um, but when I look at the whole piece, and I look at what all of these um, um, guidance policies consultations um, um, look at, I always I, 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 and and forgive me, but I'm going to draw an analogy here with a tree. You stick with me. This is this is this is, this is good. So um, if you look at the main trunk of op- of operation of resilience, the main trunk of the tree. There are really four or five elements that, that operational resilience is based on when you look at all of the uh, of the of the pronouncements from, from from around the world, and they're the basics of the definition of operational resilience. So that's namely um, um, identifying uh, the threat, preparing, responding, adapting, recovering, and learning. That is the main trunk of the operational resilience tree. That's pretty much where all of the of the uh, uh, of the missives go to. Then, if you look at the roots of operational resilience and the roots of the tree, 
Well, that is that for me comes out very strongly here as governance within a firm. Most regulators mention the need for sound governance. And this means that operational resilience needs to be led by the board and treated as a main strand of its corporate governance, embedded into the fabric of a firm, or in my analogy, you know, the, the roots of the, of the tree. And then once, once you look at the tree and, and the branches of the tree and, and the, the, the leaves that come off the branches, um, these are things like third party management, third party dependencies, outsourcing arrangements, impact tolerances, which the UK uh, um, uh, regulators have been quite keen on, business continuity arrangements, um, and technological threats. So for me, for me, the whole thing can be summed up in that one tree. And, 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 and once you've got all of those main tenants, that they're pretty, pretty much covered off in all of the main pieces of regulation around the world. throughout all of the global approach to this. Um, Rachel, I mean, all of a couple of days ago from when we are recording this, Lyndon Nelson from the Bank of England um, issued really a seminal speech on operational resilience, and it had some very clear regulatory messages in there. Um, do you want to give a bit of a sense of where Lyndon was going and indeed why? Because he explained that very clearly as well. Sure. Yeah, this was really uh, good timing as far as we were concerned with the podcast, uh, because like you say, he was very clear. Um, I'd say his top line was that firms need to think of this um, as working towards an outcome, that uh, this is about... Uh, creating a, a not a, a, a risk management framework, not um, a, a, some kind of policy to be complied with. So that, that would be the first thing. Uh, he also mentioned that they'd seen an avalanche of requests for detailed guidance, uh, things like, should we set up an operational resilient committee? Operational resilience committee? You know, how many important business services should we have? And he said, we're not going to give you this kind of guidance. We're not going to give you a safe harbor and say, if you do this, that, and the other thing, you're going to be okay. And obviously the reason for that is all these businesses are different. They need to think about what's going on in their businesses, not look to a tick box and try to match things up. Um, he mentioned a couple of other things that I think are worth mentioning really quickly. One is that there's clear distinction between operational risk and operational resilience, which we'll talk about again. Operational resilience is an outcome. Um, he talked about uh, scenario testing to assure resilience. He talked about some of the issues he's seeing around the cloud and um, I know this is something you're keen to talk about, Susanna. He talked about how there's no bailout option uh, if your firm is unable to function because of an operational incident. There's no operation operator of last result, resort at Threadneedle Street. Firms need to, you're on your own. And 
he said firms should be able to set out a compelling gap analysis by 31st March 2022. So um, uh, I think it would be great if uh, Mike and Susanna could chime in on some of their and dig down into some of their uh, reactions to the speech. Um, yeah, I, I I think it was one of the clearest articulations of what operational risk expectations, sorry, operational resilience expectations are, and indeed very clear as to what they're not. And and as you say, m- the most powerful thing for me was he he was talking about you know for financial resilience, financial stability. The Bank of England and other regulators have all sorts of tools at their disposal. You know, they've got a rule book, they've got capital buffers, liquidity buffers, capital requirements. The Bank of England here in the UK is the lender of last resort. Nothing like that exists if your firm falls over because of an operational incident, if you've been cyber hacked, if your IT system falls apart for whatever reason if your outsourcer collapses and therefore you're unable to function. There are no last resort functionalities currently in the system. And for me, that was an incredibly powerful message to send to the industry and hopefully helped clarify a lot of understanding as to what exactly operational resilience is and what the expectations on firms, particularly the board at firms, will be in the future. Mike? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, sorry, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I, 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 I was just going to pick up on one or two other things, actually. Uh, first of all, I think just to pick up on what Rachel was saying, for me, it was very clear from Lyndon's messages that this is a risk management exercise in the widest sense, in that the regulators aren't going to give firms the answers here. It is going to be down to firms to assess their risks And when it comes to things like identifying their most important business processes and their impact tolerances, um, for them to come up with their own risk assessed uh, metrics for this. The regulators aren't going to tell you what to do. The regulators may well challenge you uh, and where they see weaknesses in the process where you've come up with with those um, um, metrics and and, and prioritization of processes. Uh, they may well ask for for changes, but ultimately the re- the regulators aren't going to come out with the answer up front to you. This is a risk management exercise. Hence Rachel's point around you, your risk management framework needs to be adjusted to accommodate operational resilience is absolutely spot on. I think um, our, our, um, a second point that came that came out of Lyndon's uh, uh, presentation uh, last week was um, the existence of chief resilience officers. And it might be all too easy for firms to to sit back and say, well, if operational resilience is is such a big ticket thing, we will make it a senior management function and we will place a dedicated uh, chief resilience officer in place. And that in some way um, 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 alleviates some of the responsibility on the board. I'm not saying that that isn't the answer in, in, in any situation. It could well be the answer in some situations. But definitely the message from uh, Lyndon and David Postings, who was co-hosting the, um, uh, the, the presentation, was that that actually might send the wrong message to the regulator. 
And actually, it might be seen as a way of board not taking responsibility for operational resilience uh, rather than taking it uh, on board wholly. One of the one of the key messages, not only from Lyndon's speech, but reading through the um, uh, uh, the documentation, is the role of governance, is the role of the board. That these things should be board led. The impact tolerances, the prioritisation of processes, all should be approved at board level, and therefore the the, the responsibility for preparing firms for appropriate operational resilience is at the uh, is at, is at the feet of the, the people in the boardroom. Um, and therefore, there's no um, uh, delegating or, or of that responsibility, I suppose. I mean, sure, the board will have a number of people um, um, doing the analysis and preparing the, the organisation for them. But the actual responsibility for getting this right is at the is in the boardroom. And, and that's what, what came across. Uh, and then finally, uh, just um, as Rachel mentions the, the, the deadline for, uh, for the UK um, um, uh, papers, which is March uh, 2022, uh, Lyndon was, was again at pains to stress that um, they expected progress on this and they expected progress quite quickly on this where progress isn't already in place. But he didn't expect a, um, a completed uh, shiny Rolls Royce of an operational resilience process in every firm, where it, it, firms needed to build through this, build through their third-party management, their outsourcing arrangements, their uh, the geographical nature of their of, of their processing, their their staffing complement, their capabilities, etc., etc., etc. And therefore, as long as the regulators were seeing significant progress towards it, he wasn't expecting to see the final answer in March 2022. But uh, if if I was a compliance officer in a firm, I would be touching base with with my uh, supervisor at the regulator on this, just to make sure that around timeframes and around progress, that the firm is on track with where the regulator would would um, um, expect you to be. Yeah, I think yeah. that's very wise advice. Very wise advice indeed. And and it's probably worth also saying that you know operational resilience is not easy. It just is not easy. You have to encompass everything you can think of that could or might go wrong, and therefore also by definition, it's always a moving target. But having said that, there are definitely lessons out there firms can learn and better practices that can be deployed. So, Rachel, coming back to you, what is good beginning to look like for operational resilience for firms as they're beginning to build out their capacity and capability on this? Well, Susanna, I would say at the moment it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I took a look at some annual reports and... I would call some of the um, observations they're making around operational resilience is very much the operational risk and resilience greatest hits. Um, they're kind of patting themselves on the back, having uh, managed through the pandemic, which is a business continuity thing, more than an operational resilience matter. I'm not saying that it doesn't have an operational resilience element, but it's definitely a business continuity issue. Um, but anyway, just to rattle through some of the things that are happening, um, 
they're starting to look at operational resilience at the board level uh, more than once a year in a set piece, which is uh, encouraging. So they're talking about it a lot more, hopefully. What kind of conversations are being had is hard to tell, but, um, you know, they're looking, I think it goes to show how difficult thinking about operational risk is and operational resilience is by the way that firms are struggling to get their head around it. Um, there wasn't a lot in there about this is how we intend to recover from issues. It was just, well, we found some issues like cyber, um, IT issues that we talked about earlier on, fraud, data, um, outsourcing suppliers that Mike's touched on a lot, um, retaining qualified employment uh, employees, um, compliance apparently is an operational risk. Um, and then there was an, some firms were calling it operational risk operational resilience risk, which was a new one on me. But so I think they need to go a lot more towards having a sophisticated um, and thoughtful approach on operational resilience. And that was one of the things that Lyndon Nelson was also really emphasizing in his speech. Um, he says, the word in the policy documents that is doing a lot of work here is sophistication. He, he we're not there yet on the sophistication, um, on the, the, the sophistication measure. Um, but I lo did look at Lloyd's uh, annual report and they have plans in the report. They're saying they're modernizing technology to improve their operational resilience and they talk about operational, resi operational risks associated with its group change agenda and incorporating operational resilience into future design thinking and facilitation of office and remote experiments are designed to support increased collaboration and support new ways of working. So um, that is an example of some of the thinking. They also explicitly mentioned the UK regulators operation uh, resilience guidance and how they, it's something that they're going to be um, looking at in terms of setting tolerances and mapping uh, business activities, etc. And interestingly, they mentioned um, maintaining and developing playbooks that guide its response to a range of interruptions from internal and external threats. Um, and they talk about uh, testing and exercises, but that, that seemed to be further along, but not completely there in, the in terms of sophisticated thinking about this. But it's all a very good um, starting point. Um, but I think Need, more needs to be done about continuous assessment and thinking about incidents like the colonial pipeline issue in the states that happened uh, over the weekend or late last week, you know, bouncing back from these 
things that come in from left field. Um, they need to think more about the cloud. Um, the, the cloud now seems to be an answer uh, and a solution to operational resilience issues. Um, not a possible problem, and it's something that Lyndon Nelson again brings up in his speech. And the FCA talks a lot about in their um, uh, cyber report that we're going to link to in the show notes. So I, th I think we're beginning to see them, the banks lay out their stalls. Um, I think they need to get a lot more tools in their toolboxes and be thinking a lot more expansively about this. I think, and I don't know what uh, you think about this, Mike and Susanna, but it's always been my view that banks don't think as expansively about risks in the round as they could do. And this is a place where they need to be thinking expansively and being more creative, proactive, reactive. I think there's um I I I, I hear what you say, Rachel. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of effort goes into risk management in, in the banking sector, and I think that historically, um, business continuity planning uh, and the other um and the other um, elements that are going to make up operational resilience haven't been um, overlooked. You're right. Um, um, uh, but Sorry, but you are right in that perhaps some of the detail of, of, of that hasn't been um, developed as, ex as, as, as deeply as maybe is now being required. So, for example, some of the testing um, uh, regimes going forward will maybe need to be a little bit more expansive rather than just a desk-based exercise, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe some of the scenario analysis that the firms will will have um, will generally have as part of their general risk management framework uh, work um, will have to be expanded to inc to include cover uh, other areas. So so yeah, yeah, in 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 many ways you, you're right in that they will need to be a little bit more expansive, but. I believe that the underlying framework in many uh, uh, banks, especially the larger ones, will already be there. Question for you, Mike. If, uh, should regulators uh, be concerned if they're seeing a lot of samey-samey in firms' approach to operational resilience? Should they... um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an I'm interesting just one. I'm just wondering. That's just when you were speaking, I was... that. That just cropped up. I, yeah, you know, uh, there'll be there'll be no doubt that, and the regulators in, in the fullness of time will probably do this anyway. But um, there will be no doubt that there will be good and bad practice that that comes to the fore as 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 we get used to this new um, operational resilience environment. Shall we say there may there may already be out there as part of the pandemic where firms of a similar size and a similar business. Uh, will have looked at their competitors and will have seen them do certain things which are appealing to them. I, I think sharing uh, a good practice is, is is a good thing. I think that 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 that, that it all contributes to doing the right thing. But yeah, but you're right uh, in 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 that if that detracts from a true risk based assessment of the firm's position uh, from an operational resilience perspective. Then that, um, then that is where best practice and risk management start to diverge, because actually the best practice may not be addressing the risks 
that you foresee within your firm. Uh, and so, and, and I believe that that's the, I, I, I don't know, but I believe that's the way the regulator will go. They will look at not, are you following best practice, but are you employing best practice that meets the risks within your firms? And if the best practice doesn't meet those risks, I, whatever it is are you, are you, you're applying, um, that, that, that does meet the risks that, you're, that you've identified within your firm. And, and I would add into that, it is an absolute crystal clear case of it is not one size fits all. Operational resilience, by absolute definition, has to be precisely and exactly mapped to the business your firm is doing. And whilst firms can be similar, they can have similar customers, they can have similar sectors, they can have similar geographies, they are not going to be the same. And it absolutely has to map exactly and precisely to the moving target, we're back to moving target, that is your business. It's not a one size fits all. It's not something that you can do by rote. It's a, I mean, risk management in the purest sense of that, that you have to take a stand back look and consideration as to what could happen, what could go wrong. I mean, of course, there are pitfalls that are common to firms. Um, the classic one that actually Mike and I were discussing the other day is when you have the backup to your IT system and who to call on your IT system. So when it falls over, nobody can get in to find out who you're supposed to call to tell about it. I mean, yeah. there are common pitfalls that absolutely all firms should seek to avoid. But your governance around this must ensure that your operational resilience is absolutely mapped to your business, to your risks, to your uh, ability to continue to deliver good customer outcomes and, and basically keep operational. You can't photocopy it from somebody else. That, I would suggest to a regulator, would be one of the biggest red flags you could actually have. I agree. Gosh, I am very aware we're running out of time here, chaps. Um, but, but so just, just to, but sorry, go sorry. It, before, before we go into takeaways, uh, and I'll have an Indian, by the way. Um, uh, be, be, <laughs> before too. we go into takeaways, just one footnote on proportionality, because it was something that Lyndon made quite clear in his speech. In that he, in that the regulator feels that 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 in the UK, um, the documents and the requirements that they put out are proportional, um, and they don't expect you know small firms to do it in the same way as larger firms, for example. But nevertheless, the small firms must find a way to do it, I think was the message, um, and, and, and must find a way to cover the bases. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So takeaways, um, curries or otherwise. Um, Mike, key takeaway from all of this? So I think that um, I think that governance comes um, um uh, comes top of my list. I actually have three. Um, so governance comes top of the list. Um, um, firms need to get governance arrangements in sync with the operational resili resilience requirements or, or vice versa. I think the second point is a, is a complacency point. Um, don't think that the activities in the last year through the pandemic mean that firms have solved operational resilience. It doesn't. For, um, don't get me wrong, firms have done a lot of good work in this area over the last year. Their businesses are there as a testament to that. Uh, but this is, a, um, this is an ongoing thing. This is a muscle that needs to be continually exercised, especially to placate the regulator. 
And I suppose, um, thirdly, and just to pick up on the point that I made earlier, uh, especially during this these early times of uncertainty around these operational resilience requirements in all jurisdictions, um, um, for firms to have a continued dialogue with the regulator. Uh, like, like I keep saying, the regulators aren't going to give you the answer, but they might point you in a direction that, um, that further down the line um, keeps you out of trouble. Perfect. Takeaways, Rachel? Okay, I'll keep this short and sweet. Uh, regulators want to see operational resilience as a continuous risk management project, not a tick-the-box compliance implementation. And number two, firms should be taking learnings from elsewhere continually, uh, looking at events that are in the news and thinking, hmm, what can I learn from, you know, for example, this ransomware attack? Or what can I learn from, uh, I get the pandemic? What can all these things? People need to be looking outwards, not just inwards. I think that's a very good note on which to end. Thank you so much, Rachel, and thank you so much, Mike. And thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. And indeed, thank you for coming back to listen to the start of series two. Now, as we've mentioned throughout this particular uh, podcast, a selection of articles will be popped into the episode notes. And I'll also include in there a link to the Irish consultation, which I mentioned. Now, as a reminder, that closes for comments on the 9th of July. Also in the episode notes uh, is a download link for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence. Last but not least, we would very much appreciate it if you would take the time to review the podcast. And as ever, do let us know if you have any suggestions for future topics to be discussed in the next season on this season of Compliance Clarified. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.